Hi, welcome to season two of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winnie Da Silva. I'm thrilled to be back with you in season two for another amazing lineup of conversations with transformative leaders. And thank you for supporting me in this podcast. If you've listened to an episode and felt its impact, could you tell someone? You could forward them this episode, post about it on social, or text someone who might be interested in listening. If you could share just one, I'd be grateful. Andy Stern and John Rigos have worked together for over 21 years as entrepreneurs and now as co-CEOs. And they have a tremendous amount to teach us about building businesses, creating a successful partnership, and the core leadership fundamentals they lean on. Take a listen and get a feel for their relationship and how that reflects on their leadership. As an entrepreneur, if you get too excited on the highs and you get too bummed out on the lows, you're going to go crazy. So being able to be steady state is really important. Otherwise, it's an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. And not to say we don't have those days. We certainly do. But it's a good reminder that tomorrow is different than today and, and both good and bad. I have those days. Andy doesn't have those days. <laughs> I'm the volatile one up and down. Like I'm the one that jumps up and also the one that's really gets really depressed if things aren't going right. But Andy's the steady state guy. So at least one of you are. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. How do you guys manage that together though? I'm curious. Do you help each other with that? Like, um, oh, John, are you like, absolutely. Andy, get, could you it's get funny. a little more excited and vice versa? Yes, that's it. I say those exact words. And the funny <laughs> thing, once in a blue moon, Andy needs someone to be solid. So when he, I can tell when he's in that state of mind. So it's like, all right, I got to step up and not, <laughs> and not vacillate so much. But I think we, we equally support each other, but in different ways. I think he probably gets a little bit of energy out of my kind of enthusiasm when he's flatlining. Definitely. Really, it sounds corny, but it really is a marriage that we're in. And it's actually helped. John and I, are, we always joke, we're 21 years married. I'm 16, actually, with my legal wife. <laughs> but I've learned a lot about how to be a better communicator. Even John and I, I think, are much better, even when we quote unquote fight. He's the one that this is where I give him credit. He pushes me to like, you got to address what was the fight about? And let's talk through that. Whereas for me, I typically am internalizing that and just dealing on my own. Andy Stern and John Rigos are co-CEOs of Orify Brands, based in New York City. Orify Brands is a next-generation hospitality group that creates, grows, and operates category-leading brands, including La Pan Quotidian in the U.S., The Little Beat, Melt Shop, Fields Good Chicken, and The Little Beat Table. The Orify Brands portfolio comprises nearly 100 restaurants across these five brands in multiple markets across nine states. Andy and John, I'm really excited to have you guys here today. So thank you for being here. Great to be here. Thank you. We actually had a chance to work together about seven years ago. I can't believe it's been that long already. Wow. <laughs> I know. <laughs> there were actually several reasons why I really enjoyed working with you and Orify back then. While you guys essentially operate a lot of really tasty restaurants, at heart, you guys are both entrepreneurs and you really love building, growing, and turning around businesses. And I think that's really exciting, especially in this space and in this industry. Second, you both deeply care about people and you want the impact of your work to uplift and develop people and the communities in which you serve. And I think as different as you might be from each other, this is the core value that really drives both of you. Don't you think that's true? That's definitely true. 
obviously on the people side, it's a hundred percent accurate. And then mm -hmm. I think on the entrepreneurial side, that's been a big thing for us as far as being nimble and scrappy, always wanting to maybe do our detriment, but always thinking about what's around the next corner and where are things going and how do we continue to build, not just a restaurant company, but a business that's continuing to, to evolve. What you guys do is really at scale, the scale that you want to achieve, but yet still having that people and community connection. No matter how good we think we are or not, ultimately our success is entirely predicated on all the people around us. And the more opportunities we provide them to grow, develop, and help drive whatever it is we're driving towards, that clearly supports our business, our people, all the stakeholders in our company. So we're wholly committed to all of our team members. That's great. Before we talk about your leadership stories, could you quickly tell us about Orify Brands and how it works? Because I think it's different than what people might imagine in terms of the brands. And there's a lot of CEO titles within Orify. Could you explain it a little bit at a high level? Orify Brands is a hospitality company dedicated to supporting, growing, expanding our brands within the portfolio. So we have a platform comprised of super talented people across functional areas, marketing, technology, finance, that support young emerging brands as they go through the growth process. So when we launch a brand or acquire a small brand, there may be one or two people that come along with it, but we as a collective fill all the spots on that team to help drive that business. And over time, as the brands grow, they start to fill out those team members directly to their brand, and they effectively will wean themselves off of the day-to-day -day needs of the platform. But that's once they have achieved scale. We will always continue to provide strategic support and capital to help grow the businesses. But we basically try to minimize all the challenges that a young brand faces as they grow. So it sounds like you're seeding these brands and those leaders to be able to grow, but the goal is for as independent as they can get, but still the strategic support that you can offer along the way, long-term. Yeah. And our mission is actually to empower great leaders to build great companies. Okay. And that's really what we aspire to do. So we play whatever role we, the collective, we play whatever roles we need to maximize the chances of that success. I would love to talk a little bit about how you guys met and why you initially started working together. Tell us a little bit about that story and that background. We met in January of 2000, so 21 years ago, Okay. in a tech incubator called Idealab. And we were working together there, became both colleagues and friends, and then when the tech markets fell apart not too far after that we decided to continue working together but get out of the tech space and so we both took a little time off and tried to figure out what we want to do and, and where we could invest together or build something together one of the first things we did together was invest in and build a subway restaurant in in walton new york that was the first start of on the food side we didn't intend to be in the food business but it looked like it was an easy good investment and, and then next thing you know, it wasn't so easy. So we had to make a real decision if we wanted to double down on that space or get out. And fortunately, we decided to invest more. And so we went more heavily into the food space as far as investments go. So that turned into more Subway restaurants. And then that turned into Dunkin's and Baskin's and then Five Guys. And before you know it, we were dozens and dozens of restaurants into the business. And all along, though, the one core component was we wanted to build a platform like we were used to from the tech side 
to help enable people to build businesses in this space. And, and that's what we ultimately set out to do. We started building a platform almost from the onset. And then next thing you know, once we understood the industry well enough, we were able to start building our own brands as well. But those were all in the franchise space, which you still are involved in now, or have you shed that part of your business and, and don't do that anymore? We were planning to shed that part of our business. We got out of everything, including Five Guys, two years ago. We still manage Five Guys, sold it to a family office, so they asked us to stay on to manage. And then this past summer, we bought Le Pen Quotidien from the Belgian parent. And so we own the United States for LPQ. But we still technically now are back into a franchise relationship. And are the franchise relationships different than the brand concepts that you develop on your own? From a strategy leadership standpoint, are they different? Ultimately, we work with multiple franchise organizations and they each have their own personalities and then profiles and standards, but all of them are clearly committed to their brand and maintaining brand integrity. We cut our teeth in the business by learning how to run a franchise business. And we've taken a lot of that learning and have applied it to how we're growing our own brands and apply the same kind of rigor and standardization in order to be able to scale the businesses. Okay, good. I want to explore a little bit about your co-CEO arrangement, because I think in some ways that's unusual. And I've talked to a lot of different clients who have talked about, does this work? Does this not work? Is this something that maybe we should think about doing? How would it work? And you guys have been doing this, I think, for a while. So how did you guys decide to do that? What led to that? I don't know that we had a choice. I think we both found ourselves in a position where, first off, we're incredibly complementary in all respects, even our skills, our interests. There's obviously overlap, but we each have strengths and our respective weaknesses. And I think we have respect for both of those components to who we are. So it's worked for us over the years, I think. But after a long run, there does come a point where you do need to inject some kind of variable that will help drive certain decision-making. And I think while we've had success all along, we brought on a, a CFO a few years back, who I think was really instrumental in helping us make better decisions faster. It's funny because he, when he came on board, was very skeptical about the ability to have two CEOs, which is, I think, common kind of thinking. And he very early on remarked, and I think it's remarkable how you guys really do work well together and pull out the best of each of you in, in some weird way, it seems to work. So I felt like that was validation that we are doing something right, not just kidding ourselves that we were doing something right. Andy, what's your contribution to that? <laughs> <laughs> I think John's right. Part of what led us to this was we were partners. And so titles were almost irrelevant because at the end of the day, we both had to agree on something. So having titles different than co-CEO was confusing for everybody that was in our ranks, uh, especially from the perspective of accountability. And so how are decisions being made if there's two of you and who do I go to? And so I think we were just really clarifying the fact that actually was true. There's two people that make decisions in this case. We are pretty good about making sure it's unanimous or at least understand the other person's perspective, and then knowing if it's a fight you want to stick with or not. There's very few decisions, I would say, that we make that that aren't thought through and unanimous, even if somebody doesn't fully think that they would have made that decision on their own. At least it's something that we've agreed to. It's about you guys and your relationship and your co-CEO. That doesn't mean that it's going to work for everybody, right? Yeah. But I am curious, what do you feel like really works? And what do you feel like is challenging? Maybe it's accountability and decision-making, but uh, maybe there's something else. You could 
paper this out as much as you want and make sure that it's as bulletproof as possible from, okay, we have two roles that are identical. How's it going to work? You could do all of that math. At the end of the day, the most important underlying thing, and this is going to sound a little cheesy, John, if you tear up, I don't blame you, but <laughs> it's trust, right? Because yeah. I know that he's not angling for my job and I'm certainly not angling for his job. And so ultimately that part of the political aspect of two people who don't know each other being thrown into this role is a lot different than two people that have worked together for 21 years. We have the exact same outlook. Everything's identical. Our pay, our equity, everything's identical. So our only role and our only job is to make sure this thing works. And having an underlying element of trust is huge. So could you do it if it was two people that were thrust into the role that didn't know each other that well? I think that's almost like a blind marriage, to be honest, yeah. because it may work and it may not. I think part of it is also not that we don't have egos. I think we've really learned to check the egos when it comes to what the right decision is. And I'm always open to hearing other perspectives, not just Andy's, but other people that are at the table with us. I definitely appreciate others' perspectives. And I think we both apply that same kind of approach to what's the right decision to make. One of the things we've been fortunate about is we have attracted some super talented, really committed people around us that when they talk, we listen. And I think eliminating that whole ego component to decision-making is a very powerful uh, way to move forward. With the trust and equality that you have in terms of what's on paper around pay equity, but then when you have a similar outlook, all those things then, which could be potential barriers are removed so that, like you said, you guys can focus on what's really important and just making things successful. And then of course, the fact that you guys do different things, but you like different things, your different strengths, your complementary really seems to make this work. That trust and that relationship that you've had for so long, gosh, that makes a huge difference. One of the lessons we learned early on is if we felt strongly about a strategic decision, and impose that onto the CEO of one of our brands, if it didn't work, the fingers were pointed at us, obviously. So we, we embrace the whole idea that they need to own the ultimate decisions that they're making. We support them, we push them, but ultimately they have to make the call. Otherwise, I think that would just be a recipe for disaster. Right. That sounds like a lot of the word that I would use is you guys are doing a lot of coaching brand owners all the time. Fortunately, we had a good coach that helped <laughs> facilitate that. <laughs> That's a lot that you guys are doing because there is that whole developing ownership, challenging them, pushing them. But at the end of the day, a lot of that's on them. Although I assume that maybe some of that responsibility still might fall to you too. Yeah, I think there's very few instances though where we use our bully pulpit. People pretty well understand when it's something that we feel very strongly about. They also understand if they don't agree we're going to hold them accountable and we're going to need to let them make the decision. Yes. But we push pretty hard when we have a strong opinion about something, but we certainly don't mandate it. But it's pretty clear where we're netting out. Right. So obviously the hospitality industry and especially the restaurant sector has practically been crippled by this pandemic. What has been most challenging for the two of you? I'll be curious to hear if it's maybe different or if it's similar, but I'd love to hear from both of you on what you feel like has been most challenging during this time? This is one of the most remarkable and unexpected kind of challenges to have to confront. I think when the pandemic first was upon us, no one really knew how it was gonna play out, how long it was gonna last, but I think we very quickly realized that this was very serious and the immediate focus would be on 
triaging and calming everybody and trying to chart a path to move forward and providing a degree of confidence and comfort to everybody to not lose sight of what we need to get done in the immediate term. So once the triage process was done, then we need to start to anticipate what will the world look like post-pandemic and how do we prepare for it. And there has been an unbelievable amount of accelerated changes, I think, in consumer behavior over the past year that we just needed to be really thoughtful about. So the mandate to everybody was, what's going to be different? How do we prepare for it? And it's an optimal time to actually spend time reflecting, which none of us has enough time to really reflect on how we want to move forward. We're usually caught up with the day-to-day, but it provided a unique opportunity to really have more of that kind of time. One other thing, John, is what was hardest about that personally for you in doing that triaging, my word again, coaching people to make it through that pain and be reflective and and think, how did you do that? Sure. I I think the most challenging thing was the sense of isolation. Obviously, I was with my family, but with nobody else. And in those early dark days, you felt a real pall that had overtaken New York City, which is where we're based and most of our locations are. And losing that day-to-day connectivity with everybody was a pretty profound feeling. What Andy and I independently started doing, not realizing the other person was doing, is we were reaching out to, we had about 60, 70 people at the management level or in our above store level that was usually in the office that you would see day to day and just say hello to or have a conversation with. We each independently started reaching out to each and every one of them. And I think a lot of the team members were surprised that they were getting a, a call or a conversation and just being checked in on. And I felt that initially provided that connection that everybody needed because it kind of just calmed everybody's nerves. We're doing that weekly too. Literally going down a call list of just touching base, even if it was for five minutes. Yeah. And I'm guessing that maybe you did that a little bit for yourself too. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. We all thrive off of each other's energy, right? And one of the best parts about going into our office, it's a 5,000 square foot loft and all the people were there. There were days where it was just electric and it was electric from excitement and enthusiasm, you know, promise and losing that, you know, immediately in a very, you know, uh, powerful way. Affected each of us, I think, in different ways. Andy, what about you? In the beginning, we went into crisis mode. And so I'd say the first two or three weeks, it was around the clock conversations. And it was mandated from a leadership team perspective to be on a call every day. That's how we started our days. And then we we were bringing in the full platform as much as possible. And I think transparency was key. We made a decision pretty early on that we weren't going to let go of people out of the gates until we digested what was going on. And we let everybody know that. So there wasn't this lingering fear of when is the shoe going to drop? We told everybody, everyone's job is safe. Now let's figure out what we need to focus on. And so those first few weeks, I think we're critical from a communication perspective, just letting people know, focus on health and their safety, and then don't worry about your job. And then let's figure out what we kept saying to everybody. It was, and we continue to say, actually, it was the one thing we know with 100% certainty is people have to eat. Yeah. And we're in the business of feeding people. Maybe the consumption mode is going to change, but they're going to eat. So let's figure out how we get food in front of people. So that was the early mandate. The second part of that, though, was how are other people eating, meaning community-wise, first responders. So having all the brand CEOs reaching out, seeing how we could participate in helping was a big deal as well. And I think that was cathartic for the CEOs, knowing that we stopped watching sales. 
you know, because there were no sales. So let's not focus on something we can't control because traffic has just disappeared. So why are we harping on the fact that, oh gosh, our sales, and we stopped even talking about it and we started leaning into what else can we actually control? And what could you control? There was nothing for a little while, even so far as people scrambling to figure out how to get groceries. So it was intense for the first couple months. And then we started redoing everyone's app and investing a lot of money and making sure that part of our business was seamless. So we put in close to a million dollars of an investment to make sure everybody had a good off-premise platform. That was a key component. Then thinking about, are people going to start ordering family meals or does it need to be food delivery kits? We went through everything. And I think that brainstorming and letting people know that we don't have all the answers. So we need you guys to help here. We need you guys to participate in thinking about how we get out of this thing. I would imagine that maybe being entrepreneurs allowed, John, maybe it was you that used the word scrappy. I imagine that mindset and that way of thinking helped you get through this crisis. Absolutely. Definitely. <laughs> and we have a lot of scrappy people that work with us. I think maybe okay. they're attracted to us, we're attracted to them. Generally, young brands require a scrappiness to really figure out how to run their day to day. So I think that's that's a characteristic we consciously look for. But yeah, nobody knew what was going to happen. And that required a greater degree of resourcefulness and innovative thinking and just everything had to be different. And we recognized that pretty quickly. And people stepped up for the challenge. I'm curious, as you guys look back on your life and career, what are some learning moments or lessons that have really stuck with you that have continued to help you in times of difficulty as leaders? You can't get everything done on your own, especially if there are problems. And one of my board members back in the day had said to me, listen, if you have a problem and you don't share it with anybody, it's your problem when it comes out. But if you do have a problem and you share it with the relevant stakeholders, it's everybody's problem. And I think that was the lesson we learned when this crisis really hit us was we don't have all the answers. We need to be as transparent and embracing of everybody else to figure out how do we get through this together. And from that, you find strength. And also, there's a lot less stress when you have other people helping solve a problem. And that applies with the small and the large. It's always better to bring in other people with different perspectives to help try to solve problems. Andy, what about you? What are some things that have stuck with you earlier in your life that you still turn to during times like these? For me, early on, like early 20s, starting a business, it used to be really stressful before I understood this one core principle that I've stuck to, which is as an entrepreneur, if you get too excited on the highs and you get too bummed out on the lows, you're going to go crazy. And so you got to figure out how to cut through the middle of the wave and allow yourself to celebrate wins, but also make sure that tomorrow is different than today when you're in a low because you can go crazy that way. So being able to be steady state is really important, I think. Otherwise, it's an emotional roller coaster. Yeah. And not to say we don't have those days, we certainly do, but it's a good reminder that tomorrow's different than today and, and both good and bad. I have those days. Andy doesn't have those days. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the volatile one up and down. Like I'm the one that jumps up and also the one that's really gets really depressed if things aren't going right. But Andy's the steady state guy. So at least one of you are. <laughs> yes, that's right. That's right. Well, how do you guys manage that together, though? I'm curious. 
do you help each other with that? Like, um, oh, absolutely. John, are you like, absolutely. Andy, get, can it's you get funny. a little more excited and vice versa? Yes, that's it. I say those exact words. And the funny <laughs> thing, once in a blue moon, Andy needs someone to be solid. So when he, I can tell when he's in that state of mind. So it's like, all right, I got to step up and not, <laughs> and not vacillate so much. But I think we, we equally support each other, but in different ways. I think he probably gets a little bit of energy out of my kind of enthusiasm when he's flatlining. Definitely. Because that does keep you guys sane. Yeah. And then the energy being at the appropriate level. <laughs> That's right. Yeah. That works. Really, it sounds corny, but it really is a marriage that we're in. And it's actually helped. John and I, are, we always joke, we're 21 years married. I'm 16, actually, with my legal wife. <laughs> but I've learned a lot about how to be a better communicator. Even John and I, I think, are much better even when we quote unquote fight. He's the one that this is where I give him credit. He pushes me to like, you got to address what was the fight about? And let's talk through that. Whereas for me, I typically am internalizing that and just dealing on my own. And then unfortunately, my body language, I could never be a good <laughs> poker player because my body no, language no. tells it all. Hi, this is Winnie. Just a quick little note here. John had to sign off in the middle of our interview to take an important client call. So the rest of the interview is with Andy and I. You guys have something really special. When you think about partnerships in business, it's greater than your relationship, right? And in some ways, the relationship and how good it is reflects how good the business is going to be. No doubt about it. And that's the other thing is internally, we've gotten a lot more mature about if you consider from a family unit, all of our CEOs, part of our greater family and not showing your greater family when there's a fight. Yeah. So knowing, even if we disagree at something in the moment in public, we've learned a lot about biting your tongue and waiting and then talking about it privately and making sure people view us as one unit is really key so that there's not an element, which there used to be before we created this co-role of going to mom or going to dad for permission based on what the question was, right? And so now they know that's a united front and it doesn't matter who you go to because they're both going to find out about it. I think you're right. There's that balance. And this is true for families. You don't want to fight in front of the kids and say things that you'll regret. But there is some element of healthiness to... Seeing you work through it. Yeah. 100%. Definitely. And that's key. And with the loft that you're in, they're picking up on cues, right? They're, they're yes. like watching the body language, they're watching stuff. But the fact that you guys have that maturity and have worked through figuring out how to have some of those conversations, because and I like what you said earlier about, it sounds like there's maybe a flare up, but then it's okay, there was a flare up, fine. Now let's go back and really get into unpacking that, what happened. 100%. And I credit John literally for all of that, for me, just personally, from a style perspective, because I was never good at that. And he would force me to sit down and say, <laughs> I know you're pissed off. Why do you have to share? Because I'm not going to let you go until you tell me. Why were you mad? <laughs> and I used to never do that. Now I feel pretty open from the perspective of if I do get upset about something, I'll either call him or text or email and say, that pissed me off. And then we talk through it and then it's over. Yeah. And we don't end up always agreeing on something, but as long as we both are communicating about it, and that ultimately is the core tenant for any leader is communication. And I know it's a little cliche, but just being transparent, that I would actually add to your earlier question, which things we've learned along the way, 
The one thing, and especially now that we're seeing payoff in spades, is John and I, we've never had to change our moral compasses. From day one, and I think that's why we became friends, is we both viewed things the exact same way when it came to morality, right? And making the right call based on what's right, not what's best for us, what's right. And by doing that, it wasn't calculated. We just, that's how we operate. And everybody knows that's how we operate. Even when it's random little things, if it's somebody that we have to part ways with, a normal employer would say, sorry, you know, you have two weeks, maybe to a fault, actually. If that's somebody that has a family or that's whatever it may be, we always are thinking about the person and not the business decision. You're lock sync with that and thinking that way. We've never wavered from that. Never. And so what I, where I was going with that whole thing is I think that's starting to pay off because the reputation that you get because of that, and we've never screwed anybody over that we've ever worked with. Even if it was an opportunity to do something differently or to one-up a relationship, we've never done it. And people know that. And people know that we're very fair the way we work. And now it's all coming full circle. How? In what way? Whether it's doing a favor for somebody, somebody calls and asks for an introduction to somebody, we've never asked for something in return. Or even if it's unfortunately parting ways with somebody, we always do it in a humane, proper way. And that person ends up in another company and we ended up working with them. That's awesome. It all comes around. I think it's true. If you operate in a certain way, it's going to pay off at some point. And that's not why we're doing it, obviously, but it helps. It's the fruit of it. 100%. Yeah. Well, I feel like what makes your partnership work is that I'm imagining that your fights are never about the fundamentals, right? That moral compass that you share alleviates you having to fight about a lot of stuff. (laughs) The fights are about the business issues, which is where it should be. You guys have different perspectives. You're trying to work through different ways of thinking and approaches get you to a better answer than if it was just one of you. So it could be a distraction if you didn't share that moral compass. Definitely. I think the old adage of nice guys finish last is probably true in a sprint, but in a marathon, I think the nice guy always finished first. Yeah. Well, and I also want to go back to what you were saying about communication and maybe that being cliched, but I would imagine in this kind of a partnership and honestly, just in the kind of work that you do, you have to level up that communication. It's got to be exponential around being intentional, having those conversations because of the way that you work together. Definitely. And I'll credit you for this, but we, our daily meeting with Rob, our CFO is called our GSD meeting, right? It's get shit done. (laughs) I love that. That's been on our calendar since the day the pandemic started, which is we have an hour long, check the boxes, who's working on what. And just so it's very clear that communication where it's not, I thought you were doing this. This is Holding each other accountable in a partnership is really hard because at the end of the day, you're both at the same level and you're both partners. So technically, no one reports to anyone in that relationship. It's less about technically where do I report than it is I don't want to let John down. He doesn't want to let me down. I think what derails people and relationships is making assumptions about what other people are doing or thinking. 100%. You got to remove assumptions from everything. 
That's right. And so even a simple meeting like that is probably eliminating a bunch of assumptions. No, it's it really is that simple. It's a one hour every day. Even if you're on vacation, you're calling in for the one hour. Our families don't love, but we know 1030 in the morning, you're going to be on a call and just check a box and say, yes, I got it. Or sorry, I can't. Can you do this? And that's the other thing too is, yeah, we decide this is your relationship. Maybe you kick it off and I'll jump in. And what we've gotten really good at is filling in the the blanks for each other. I love that. We kind of have learned just over the years, it's become almost just habit when I should speak and when he should speak and knowing each other's strength in, in each conversation. That's really awesome. Which we're lucky about, I will say. Being a sole entrepreneur is really hard. And I always tell anybody, and, and we probably, between the two of us, we absolutely have at least one a week where we're talking to somebody about something just from a mentoring perspective. And it's mostly outsiders or nothing to do with our business. Again, back to the comment earlier about helping other people. The one thing that we always tell people is, look, find a partner because it's really hard and it's really isolating to be on your own. Yes. And even if that means giving up equity, it, in the long run, it's worth every penny. But I tell you what's even harder than being a solo entrepreneur is having a bad partner. Oh, I can't even imagine. I, we, we've, knock on wood, we've been lucky about people selection. You really have. Every once in a while, we were wrong. And it's really cancerous. And making those hard decisions, this is actually where John and I do work well together because I typically am the one that's having those hard dis discussions, not because he's incapable, but just it's easier for me. It's not personal. It's not, we don't like you. It just did, it didn't work. Yeah. And good luck. And we're happy to support you in the meantime. And making that early call on that move though is everything because the amount of energy you spend on a bad fit is 10x anything else. For sure. So just cutting that the minute you know it's bad, it's never getting better. In 99% in of the cases, when you know it's just not a fit, then change. How have you gotten better at that? Because that's a really hard skill, an essential skill, but really not easy. It's not easy. And it's funny, the closer it is to you personally, right? Whether it's John and I or my wife and I, right? That's a much harder conversation. But when it's a working relationship, it just becomes, not that it's cutthroat at all, but it really is just, it's a business decision and you can't be emotional about it. And you have to see the human side of it, but at the same time, you have to do what's right because it impacts so many people. That's right. And that's the other thing we learned over the years is that in action, is 10 times more damaging than taking action because everybody else knows what's supposed to happen. Yeah. And they're looking at you like, come on, guys, how can you not be seeing this? And so you do lose credibility if you don't act quickly. And that's going to happen, right? There's always going to be times where maybe you don't make the right decision and, and then you have to deal with it. But fundamentally, you guys have been able to make really good decisions at the top level, your investors, your board, you and John, and that, that gives you a good foundation to deal with the other decisions that you have to make around people and talent. Definitely. If you could do it all again, would you still work in this industry? Would you still pick the restaurant industry? Uh, yeah, I think so. I don't think we treat it necessarily that we're in the restaurant business, but we're just building a company. And so we happen to be in an industry that I believe, unlike most industries, you can have a high level of impact on a lot of people. Yeah. And we love that. And changing trajectories of people's lives has been really rewarding. And in this industry, 
depending on where we're, we're talking about, but line level people, hourly level people, the typical turnover rate is 150%. Wow. And so you typically, in management level, it's closer to 30%, 40%, which is still very high for any industry. And so when you end up having people that are with you for 15 years, it tells you something. I think our longest tenured person at this point is 18 years. Wow. That's amazing. So that's a big component of why we like the industry is being able to have people that are with us that long. And we've done a lot. I think you remember Champion Access. Yeah. We stopped doing that because one of the promises of that was that the cohort would go through a program and they would come out and be able to take on a management role. And we, we weren't big enough at the time to be creating enough management positions. So it didn't have a place for placement every time. And so we felt disingenuous about it. So we stopped. Now that we're bigger, though, we're trying to figure out ways to lean back into that. One of the things that we're working on now is with a very well-known chef who is of color, and they reached out to us and asked if we would partner with them to build an accelerator for people of color. Ooh, awesome. And so we've been working on that for about five months now. And we view it as just an extension of what we've always been trying to do, which is, in our words, allow people to have access and change people's cycles and break the cycle that they're on. And so we're super excited about getting back into it. We've always operated that way, but now we're able to formalize it with the, one of the world's top chefs. Wow, that is really exciting. Yeah, so it's very cool. And, and that's the thing. I, I really want to highlight that you're building a business but you're also building leaders. And I guess that's the point that you're, you're making here, right? Is that yeah. you're, you're really, you're leading leaders and you're creating leaders in a space that's really not known for leadership. No, not at all. There's zero investment in this industry. Right? It was mostly in, in full service where there was the original that was really well known was Cheesecake Factory of producing good managers. Hillstone is very well known, of, but a very tough process to get there, but they do produce very good leaders. Technical though, that's the key, right? They're technical leaders. And what we're trying to always focus on is soft skills because soft skills are transferable anywhere. And if you can teach somebody soft skills uh, of being a leader, it's a lot different than teaching somebody how to technically operate a restaurant as a leader. Big difference. For sure. Maybe that was one of the attractions without maybe even realizing that the kind of impact that you could have in this industry in terms of building a business and building businesses is pretty big. I'd have to think about it, but what other industry like this could you make such an impact on when it comes to developing leaders where that's neglected? Not many. No, that's why it's so rewarding. Yeah. So is there anything that I haven't asked you that you might want to say about leadership? I think I'm learning a lot more actually being a father than I've ever learned being in business. Yeah. It's acting as a leader when no one's looking, right? That's the key component. And it's not a show. And you really have to act the way you're telling people should be done. You've got leaders who say one thing, and then sure enough, everybody that knows them well, I can't believe he's up there saying that. And so you have to actually be that person and, and truly think that way and act that way. Otherwise, it's just a facade. And eventually people see through that. So I've learned that from being a father, like being the real role model doesn't mean just telling them things. It's how you act. Whether you're in a car and someone cuts you off or there's an opportunity to get upset with a waiter if you're in a restaurant, you can still make your point. You don't have to be a pushover, 
but you do it in a humane way and you show them like, this is how a conversation is supposed to happen. Yeah. I think being a parent is a good example. People are always watching you and the weight of your behavior is greater than if you weren't the leader or the parent. And the fact that they're watching you so closely can be nerve wracking. But to your point earlier, dealing with conflict well is a huge thing when it comes to children and employees and knowing that you're not perfect, but you are doing your best. Yeah. My eldest is 15. I tell him monthly, weekly, I don't know. Look, I've never done this before. I'm trying to make the right decision and I'm trying to tell you what I think is best. So if you think I'm wrong, I'm open to your feedback, but but I'm doing the best that I can because I've never been through this before. And being open and transparent about it, but still being firm and having your line in the sand, I think does create a different dynamic than just being autocratic about something. Absolutely. Where at least you're showing, I'm figuring it out with you, but you got to trust me that I'm going to figure out the best for both of us. Absolutely. Andy, thank you so much for being here today and talking to me about your life and what you've been doing and thinking about. No, it's great to reconnect. Yeah, I know. It's really good to connect with you guys. Uh, I love watching what you guys are doing out there in the industry. And I just feel so proud of you guys. You guys are so awesome. You're doing amazing work. I can't wait to uh, see what other things you do and would love to have you back on the show as you guys evolve and grow Orify. Yeah, no, I really appreciate it. I'll end by telling you this, which is I must tell this story at least monthly to somebody who's calling me about advice or whatever. And I talk about when we first started working together, the biggest change for me, take the content out. Because to be honest, I don't remember the exact content. I know we were working on structure a lot, but was having somebody... It was the first time in a long time where I felt like I was accountable to get stuff done because I didn't want to show up to you and say, I just didn't get to that. And then I realized maybe I don't need that third party to, to be there anymore. So just be building that internal accountability kind of ties in everything we're saying, whether or not somebody's going to check your work or not, just get it done, right? And be accountable to yourself. You don't need an external person to be accountable to. I love that because what you were doing is internalizing what you knew you needed and wanted. Yeah, definitely. It was a big help. Good. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. I really appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Transformative Leadership Conversations with me, your host, Winita Silva. Could you take a few minutes to provide a rating or write a comment on Apple Podcasts? Also, reach out to me at www.winniedasilva.com to learn more about my work in executive coaching, leadership development, and team effectiveness. If you have your own story of overcoming a leadership challenge you'd like to share, please email me at winnie at winifred.org. Maybe I'll even have you on my show. Thanks so much. 